What do you do when you learn that your spouse has progressive dementia, possibly Alzheimer's disease? Why, plan a 10,000-mile trip, of course. This is the brutally honest journal of Susan Straley, a reluctant caregiver that wanted to run for the hills. Thankfully, she took her husband, George, along. The journal began as a way to keep friends and family informed about the location and progress on their three-month trip around the United States. As the trip progressed, Susan debated about how open to be about the symptoms and what they were feeling. She was encouraged to tell it like it is because this journal would be very helpful to others dealing with spouses with dementia. Once home, Susan was encouraged to continue writing about their experiences. And now the story is two books. Ride along with Susan and George on their tricycle trip across the United States and be encouraged that you too can survive this journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to remind you to please follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Fading Memories Podcast. Instagram is at Alzheimer's Podcast and our brand new YouTube channel where you can actually see all the exciting conversations. And that is also Fading Memories Podcast. Check us out and I hope to see you online very soon. With me today is Susan Straley. She is the author of two books, Alzheimer's Trippin' with George, Diagnosis to Discovery in 10,000 Miles, and then Alzheimer Trippin' with George, The Journey Continues, Over the Bumps with Friends, Family, and Community Support. So thanks for being with me, Susan. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. I started reading part of the second book, and then I got the first one in and thought, well, I should probably back up and read that, but life has been insane, so I haven't yeah. time to read. <laughs> You're still a caregiver, aren't you? Yes, my mom lives in a memory care residence, which they're fantastic, okay. but we're dealing with some different health issues, and her doctors seem to think I have nothing to do. They just call me up and say, we need to do this test today. Like, excuse oh. me, I don't know anybody that's um that free with their time (laughs) and I'm sure as you know you can't just pick them up and head to the doctor you know what might take us an hour and a half takes three hours with with them so is she in assisted living yeah in a memory because usually uh uh my mom there was an in-house physician but I suppose for the testing, you had to take them out? Yeah, I don't have a physician in this one. Okay. Like a visiting physician, I meant. Oh, yeah. no, they don't have That's that either. That's very helpful. Oh. That, would, that would be. I don't know any of them in our area that do. But, yeah, that's oh. that's definitely something for people to look into. And what state are you in again? Um, That was in Wisconsin, yes. Okay. That was in Wisconsin when I was taking care of my mom. Care of my George. I'm a resident of Florida. Okay, that's why I remembered Florida. So you got to take care of your mom too. Yeah, but I was I was just the financial caregiver and visiting her. And when she got into memory care, we moved her up closer to my sister, who's more of a nurturing kind of person. (laughs) Just necessary. It's helpful when you've got somebody that fills that bill. Yeah, I try really hard, but 
She is so good at pushing every single one of my buttons. Oh, wow. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. I have to learn how to not react to all the button pushing. Right. It's, It's a practice in not reacting to your instant emotion, which, you know, all your pet peeves and everything just... Oh, can't react to that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, because it's not going to do anybody any good if you're getting upset with them over stuff they can't control. So yeah, going to yeah. give yourself a a worse, worse outcome if you react negatively. Yeah. So your book started with, you basically started keeping a journal of your travels. Yes. Yes. Um In 2014, George was diagnosed with dementia, and I have always been one for freedom. And actually, when we got married and said our wedding vows, I said, if you get sick, I'm not going to hang around. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we kind of laughed all the wedding vows even uh, because we've both been married before. We both knew that sometimes things don't work out, and we were both very scared, and I I told him, if you get sick, if you start acting crazy, if you start getting mean to me, I'm not going to hang around, so when he got the diagnosis, I was really wondering, uh, am I going to stick through this? Am I going to be able to stick through this, and then the one big fear was the financial aspect. He was my husband. We had saved up money for retirement, but if he got in a nursing home, which is the normal trajectory for this disease, like what's going to happen then? What's going to happen to me if I survive him? Uh, so I was thinking about divorce, and I mentioned it to him, and he cried and said, wait until our 40th wedding anniversary, please. So I started to plan a 40th wedding anniversary trip, and we took a road trip then. So that was that. And the beginning of the blog was to keep our family and friends informed about where we were and what we were up to. And then it just grew from there. So for your 40th anniversary, you'd planned this, was it a cross-country type trip? Yeah, we were going to go up and see, uh, we live in Florida, so we were going up to visit family and friends in Wisconsin. And then we were going to go um, over to Idaho to a trike rally that's on a, on a beautiful trail in northern Idaho. They have it every year, and we had never been, and so we were just really excited to go to that. And then we just visited different bike trails along the way because we like to bike, tra- bike um, and visit different people. Yeah. And we ended up with a house sit in Colorado, which was cool, and stayed there for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. So how long did this 10,000-mile trip take? It we spent three months on the road over yeah and what, about a hundred days. <laughs> that sounds I could there are days right now. I'm I'm ready to <laughs> yeah. hit the road and just yes. not come back. <laughs> I, it was very therapeutic. <laughs> um, uh, so this road trip was in 2014 or 2015. Um. He was diet. Oh, I'm sorry. He was diagnosed in 2015. Um, we took the road trip in 2016. Um, left in May and got back in September. Yeah. Um, and it was great. It was. We had a lot of fun. 
Um, and as I was doing the blog, keeping people informed, you know, I, funny things would happen and I would just write about it. His symptoms started increasing on the trip. And I started talking a little bit about what we were experiencing. And, uh, and as I went along, people were encouraging me to, to be open, to be open. And uh, that I would help a lot of people by being open and telling our story. So I continued to do so. I continued to talk about dealing with surprises, incontinence, um, uh, just the silence, you know. Uh, he was my partner, my life partner, my friend, and um, there was no conversation anymore. We couldn't carry on a conversation with friends. So, um, yeah, it was some of that. Thing. So his but dementia progressed fairly quickly then? Yes, um, he was diagnosed with hydrocephalus, uh, neutral pressure hydrocephalus, which is a pooling of uh, fluid on the brain from the spinal fluid. It's not being reabsorbed. The normal circulation is the fluid goes up and then it's re reabsorbed back down. But his wasn't being reabsorbed back down. Um, and usually the uh, solution to that is putting a tap in the brain and draining the fluid. Uh, but uh, they did a spinal tap, and it didn't improve his cognitive ability, so they decided not to proceed with that brain surgery. It would be too risky. We've been on this journey with my mom for close to 20 years, so I'm always fascinated. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done. There are days when I'm done, and oh. now we're dealing with – she's got a growth next to one kidney – that I believe is sending mixed signals to her brain. Because sometimes she feels the urge to use the restroom. Got to go now. And then when you get her in the bathroom, she doesn't know why she's there, which that's super frustrating. And then yeah. just this week, the care staff told me that she'd had an accident in the dining room. And I'm like, okay. I mean, we I did buy the pull-ups just because it seemed like it was about the right time. But all that happened overnight. Up until May, the beginning of May of this year, 2019, her physical self was fine. Her brain is <laughs> shot. Ah. I mean, her visual processing is terrible. So she's she watches her feet when she walks. Any change in terrain visually, like a puddle, wet pavement, if, um, shadows on the pavement, ugh. It's, it's like treacherous. Oh. Yeah, so wow. um, I know I take her out for little adventures. We love, she loves, I go with her. <laughs> she loves to watch children. My sister and my niece, who is almost 14, they take her out. I'm not, I haven't probed as to what activities they do with her because they can't be too much different than what we do. But having the middle grandchild with her, Helps my mom too, so yeah. My daughter's almost twenty-eight, so she doesn't go with me. <laughs> oh, twenty years! That yeah, that was something. You know, when I heard stories like that, I was just like, I can't do this that long. I can't. I don't wanna. <laughs> um, well, I, when I, I hear very people, fortunate. <laughs> yeah, when I hear people say things like, "Well, I'm going to keep mom at home forever," or "I'm going to keep my spouse." At home, you know, I'm like, 
you need to really understand that this could be a decade longer. I mean, oh, it's, you know, yeah. you don't really know how hard it is until they get into the later stages like my mom at this point, when I show up on Mondays to visit because of this, whatever, the, they have not told me what this growth is. They're worried about something else, which to me is far less of a problem than the one that seems to be causing issues. And I show up about, well, it's about two o'clock on a Monday after a meeting and almost every time in the last four to six weeks, she's been in a state of distress, undress, mm. very just, it, you, oh, it's like she opens the door and <laughs> the stress just like blasts oh. right out. And I think it's because she's losing control over her bladder or feels like she's losing control. Cause she always says, you know, well, I'm wet and I pick up her clothes and they're not wet. So it's like, Ugh, okay. But she's feeling that. So it's, it's not uh. easy. And then it takes 20 minutes to get her redressed and shoes back on and reassured and calmed down. And it's like, you know, if you're taking them somewhere, it's 20 minutes extra. You have to plan just to get out the door and then yeah. getting in and out of the car is a challenge for her because with the visual processing being shot, if, you know, like we fling one foot over the threshold of the car and kind of scooch in or I have crappy knees. So sometimes I, you know, turn my back to the seat, sit down and fling my feet in. If she turns her back to the seat, she doesn't know it's there. So then it's like, you know, it's, oh. like sitting, it's like sitting without knowing if there's a chair behind you. It's Whoa, that's yeah, scary. Yeah. yeah, and understanding that helps a lot, but, you know, it's still, like, you just want to pick her up and fling her into the car. Yeah, you want to get it done because you have a life, too, yeah, that you want to like, get back to. Yeah. Well, it's like, could we stop with all this drama and troubles and stress just so we can go to the park and watch kids. That's what you like to do. And I like to do things that make you happy. So can we get to that part? please? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. So that's yeah. why I was interested in talking to you. Cause I'm like, this gal traveled around the country with her husband. I have to hear more. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was in the earlier stages. And that's one thing I saw on your website that you had the 36 hour day. And I, uh, that was one of the first books that I was recommended to read. And I picked that up and started reading it and going, he doesn't follow this pattern at all. They're saying this symptom, this symptom, this symptom in the early stages. It's like he's way down here in some places and way up here in others. And it just, uh, he didn't follow the pattern. So um, I got frustrated with the book and never finished it. <laughs> I find um, it kind of not depressing, but... It's definitely yeah. not uplifting. The one that I like is Dementia with Dignity. And I talked to her, and unfortunately, her name's going to slip my mind. I think it yeah. was Cornish is the last name. Um, I think. <laughs> I talked I to a lot of people. I heard that creating moments of joy is also a really good I'll have uh, to check into that uplifting one. book because it's focusing on those moments of joy you're trying to create for your mom by putting her out in the, in the park and maybe there's something closer to home that you wouldn't have to put her in a car for. Uh, 
and I really would check with the staff and see if there's anybody out there that visiting doctor physician because that just just makes sense, doesn't it? That yeah. there would be a physician that would visit nursing homes for people with memory loss or uh, mobility. Um, the well, doctor's visit hospice because she had through her health insurance because what she has health insurance Queen of England couldn't afford. Um, she's extremely no. lucky that way. So are we, yeah. she, through her insurance, she gets an annual like home visit. And so this nurse practitioner came on a Monday afternoon and did all the basics, blood pressure, height, weight, talked to her, which is kind mm -hmm. of funny. And just kind of the general, I kind of like make sure you're breathing. kind of <laughs> And the very next day, the staff was telling me they thought mom had a bladder infection and that's we've gone from this nurse practitioner thinking everything was great to you know this growth oh. next to her kidney that they would like me to do a third ultrasound on I'm like please the doctor wasn't happy oh. when i told him uh i'm out of town right now which you knew and when i get back i don't have half a day to to, to devote to Devote, devote to yeah. doing this ultrasound. And he's like, oh, well, it won't take that long. I'm like, you don't have a clue, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they don't. And it, he's a younger doctor, and I'm educating him on what it's like to be a caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's because it's not easy. And, you know, she's at the stage where she uses mostly the wrong words, and she sometimes knows it, so she gets frustrated and just stops talking. So that doesn't help doctors. And they'll ask her questions and she'll just randomly answer with something. And then I have to say, oh, yeah, that's fiction, whatever. It's like, I feel bad because it's like, nope, that's uh, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> nope, nope, that's yeah. like, no, uh uh. <laughs> it's just like, I feel like the negative Nelly over in the corner going, nope, nope, that's a lie. Eh, nope, nope, fake, nope, nope. <laughs> that was frustrating too when my mom was in a home and a visiting doctor would come. But he'd be asking her questions. He wouldn't even let me know when he was going to be visiting. So I wouldn't even be there. He'd just go oh. and ask her questions and accept those answers. So on her record was false information because she, she didn't remember she had heart problems. She didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, it was crazy. The thing that kills me, and I, I'm an advocate with the Alzheimer's Association. I'm a legislative advocate Part, um, I'm on the legislative advocacy okay. team there. That's the proper way to call it. And it frustrates me that, and I don't know if this just because nobody's ever thought of it or HIPAA violations, but it's like, when you open my mother's chart, it should be right there. Advanced Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Talk to daughter. Because I tell them. Yeah. Well, and it just, but we went for a blood test. And I explained to the gal, we checked in and I, and there was nobody in the waiting room. So I'm like, Oh, this is good. We won't have to wait. And I just said, you know, I'm just letting you know, my mom does not wait patiently. She has advanced Alzheimer's. She does not wait patiently. You know, we can go outside or something if there's a delay. And she just kind of looked at me like, whatever. Oh wow. And we didn't, we didn't wait. I'm not sure she, she was very young. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it clicked in her mind what I was trying to tell her because I try to be a little bit discreet, although my mom thinks I'm her best friend. 
So if I say mom, blah, 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 she doesn't realize I'm talking about her. So that does help (laughs) somewhat. But I do try to be a little bit, you know, polite and discreet about talking about her, especially when she's standing right there. So we go into the blood draw room. The gal, you know, tells her, well, you could go sit over there. And my mom's like, looking around like, what, where, huh, huh? And it's like, there's only one place to sit in this whole room. And I'm like, okay, well, this girl's going to get a little education. I'll just stand here and, and make sure it doesn't go off the rails. And then she looks at my mom and says, now, can you tell me your first and last name and your date of birth? I'm like, man, I barely understood that. And I just said, no, she can't. And the girl looked at me and I'm like, when you have advanced Alzheimer's, you don't want to ask people questions like that. She's like, well, I, I have to make sure that we're treating the right patient. I'm like, that's why I'm here. That I didn't come here for fun. <laughs> you know, and they just look at me like, like I'm the worst person. But I, I've tried really hard not to let my mom lose it with these people because they don't want to deal with that either. Unfortunately, that's not something she does. But you don't want to get her frustrated mm-hmm. because then she's not cooperative. Yeah, there's a woman in our so, um, our county, Debbie Selsavage. I don't know if you've met her, but she um, she educates business people and businesses and their staff to be dementia friendly. So she goes in and she teaches the staff. And yeah, a lot of times it's restaurants, banks, but sometimes, but now she's doing a lot with the clinics and the hospital, uh, the staff there, be, just so they know this is how you communicate. And that's why it's, that's why you can talk to the loved one, uh, you know, and just give respect to the person with dementia, but take the answers from the loved one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just... Just, you know, because I always tell, we we did an ultrasound and the gal was very, um, I don't want to say cooperative, understanding is probably Mm -hmm. a better word. And I said, I said, is this diagnosis like not front and center of her chart? Because I was like, she was like the third person I'd told in 20 minutes about mom. I'm like, this is stupid. I should not have to tell every single medical professional that we encounter today. They should know. It should be, like I said, it should be front and center. So she said, well, I did read it on her chart. And I'm like, good, finally, somebody's reading it on her chart. And she says, well, we don't normally read that far down on the chart. You know, we're just looking at the, I'm like, this is the most important piece of information that you will need to deal with her. I said, this is very frustrating. I should go into training businesses mm-hmm. because taking mom out, we have, um, like parking lot structures, not structures, but the way the parking lots are laid out, newer parking lots here in California have what they call bioswales. So you pull the car up to the curb and then there's like a, I swear. almost like a ravine. Um, it's to collect groundwater because when it rains, we got to collect it all. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're you know, in a desert. It's yeah. California. <laughs> well, Mediterranean, because we're in the, I'm in Northern California, but still, with all the, we had a five-year drought, the groundwater table shrank dramatically. So this is a new thing. And it's, it's actually not really conducive to anybody. If you, you want to step across the curb and go over to the other side, it's kind of hazardous. 
with my mom, we have to walk all the way around and then over to the door. It's like, this parking lot is not set up for somebody with a mobility issue. It's stupid. And I don't have a mobility issue. So it, to me, it, it seems to me like they could put a grace every once in a while or something over it. I have said that because there's some, you know, I don't, I don't understand this. I drive a Honda Accord. It's not a large car. The car touches almost both sides of the parking space. So if you're parked next to one of these curbs with the bioswale and you get out and you're standing on the curb, if you move wrong, you're going to end up halfway in this ravine, which has got rocks in it, and you're going to break something. Your ankle, your yeah. leg, your arm, you know, it's just... And my husband used to be a planning commissioner. And I said, these things are a hazard. You got, they got to have grades yeah. or something. So that there's something more solid for them to stay on. Now, my mom still wouldn't be able to step into, oh, man, stepping onto a grate. No. Oh. <laughs> she would not. Because she would see, I'm not even sure how she'd process a grate with rocks and, and vegetation underneath it. But she would not process it as something stable to stand on. So I would still have to take her the long yeah. way. And you have to plan ahead. Like, oh, I can't really park there because getting her in and out of the car is not that easy. And, you know, it's like, I can't get a handicap sticker because we don't technically qualify, but ugh, it's pain mm -hmm. in the butt. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I feel like educating businesses and companies might, might really be a good thing. That might be my next path. And you might, it might be worthwhile pursuing that handicap for you. I mean, handicap under her, but, you know, for, to make it easier for you, I would pursue it, I think. Um, but as far as your listeners go, I was going to say the first book, the thing that I think is probably going to be most helpful to them is the exercises that we did religiously to keep George mobile. And he was mobile all the way to the end of uh, well, yeah, pretty much. He was able to get in and out of chairs. He was actually getting up and down out of his trike mostly, uh, almost all the way. Um, we did hiking on that trip. We did two and three mile hikes. Um, and a lot of his early symptoms was balance issues. So we did these exercises where we were given them and we did them regularly and I think it really helps him maintain uh, mobility and so I've got those in the book book one Alzheimer's Tripping with George and the second book the the thing that I people have told me is most helpful is dealing with incontinence I mean I talk about the layers that I put on the bed <laughs> because it leaks through those paper you know it spreads a lot more than those paper pads you put on the bed and it spreads through their underwear I mean the, the diaper and uh, so it's just a mess so I talk about that and I also talk about step by step how I dealt with his bowel incontinence and uh, yeah, I even had pictures in there of the uh, the diapers I used and the handy wipe the hand wipes I used and the uh, rubber gloves, things like that. It, just practical stuff. They called me in my support group, they called me the doo-doo diva because I 
that's what I was dealing with. <laughs> I had to become good at it. I I'm off to go back because I did like I said, I started the second book and then the first one came and then all this stuff going on. It's just like pfft. there's days when it's like I really should read this and then like I can't I can't do any more Alzheimer's today. <laughs> I have to go I have to go read true crime or something. Yes, I understand that. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I started the podcast because there was only so much of these books you could read. You read the 36-hour day and there's a lot yeah. of really great information but it's heavy. And when, it's you know, heavy the, and it's depressing, I mm, think. Yeah. I think there yeah, I don't think my book was uplifting for people they told me and it was a page turner so I'm glad oh, to I'll hear have, that. I have to get like I guess mm-hmm. I have to jump into the to the first one here. So tell me about some of these adventures that you guys were on. Since I haven't read the first one yet. <laughs> we did a lot of hiking and biking. Um, I will tell you about Northern Idaho, the trike rally. There's a, on a beautiful trail. You see moose, you see mountains in the distance and swampland in the, in the middle of the ponds and lakes. Uh, we encounter moose. Um, it's just a really gorgeous. And then there's other trikers there too. So they, you know, you're, you're riding along and then you stop at a beautiful spot and pretty soon there's like 10 people all there talking about the different trails they've ridden. And it's just a nice community. Well, I'm a, I'm a road cyclist, so I can relate to that. Yeah. And we've, some of the people in our club have gone to other states and done multiple day bicycle trips. Ah, okay. I have yet to be able and to get that into my schedule, but it's, I did one for my 50th birthday. I went to Jamaica and did a three-day bike ride across the island. Oh, neat. Yeah, that was great. But then I came home and my dad ended up in the hospital for a month and then he was home on hospice. And then the beginning of 2017 was horrible. The dog died. My dad, my daughter moved out. My dad died. We put my mom in memory care. And that was all before St. Patrick's Day of 2017. So I haven't, wow. I haven't had a bicycle trip again, but it's on the it's on the list. All the chill is gone from that, huh? You gotta go into a room and just remember the gliding through the forest or whatever and over the mountain. Yeah, the heat. <laughs> yeah, heat. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, being in California, I am not accustomed to humidity, and so I'm looking at the weather. And the weather in Jamaica was pretty similar to the weather we are having here, and I'm like, great. I, when I packed my suitcase, I'm like, okay, on Friday I had the little arm warmers and the short sleeve jersey and da 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 da. And I never touched half of that stuff because it was so humid. Ew, don't like humid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't do well in Florida then. Nope. I've been to Florida several oh. times. But yeah. no, yeah. And we went to Atlanta in 2017, and everybody's like, why are you going to Atlanta in June? They're like, are you insane? Like that is when the Rotary International Convention is. Really lucky because it was only about sixty percent humidity the week we were there. The week before and the week after was like ninety. I'm like, I can deal with sixty. So you're a Rotarian as well, Mm -hmm. as well as doing the podcast, as well as caring for your mom, as well as being a photographer. Exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. No wonder you're feeling tired. <laughs> yeah, I need to. I ended up with a flat tire this af- this morning's bike ride, and the friend that changed my tire, he said, "Your rim strip is dead, 
So it means the spokes were poking the tire tube. Oh, yeah. So we changed it. I called my daughter. I said, have you left the house for work yet? She said, no. And I said, great. Can you just take me home? So I cut it a little short today, which actually worked out to my benefit. <laughs> okay. Well, that was good. Now I just got to take the bike to the shop again and, you know, see, see how fast he can fix that for me. So I know when you got home from this 100-day journey, 10,000-mile journey, you ended up moving, which sounds like that was a, a not, well, it sounds like it was kind of a difficult decision. Yes, it was. Um, so that starts out in, in the second book. After our journey, then we continued the journey with Alzheimer's and in, enjoying our lives as much as possible. Um, through it and we really did we did we had a lot of great times um one of the things that the lawyer we went to visit a lawyer and say okay he's got this diagnosis what should i be doing what we should we do with the finances and stuff and he said you're not rich enough to worry about it <laughs> pretty much Ouch. but uh, yeah but he did say uh, for me to protect my assets one of the things that Florida lets you do, and I don't know what other states are, but you, the surviving spouse gets to keep the house. So, um, so we were living in a manufactured home right then, so it didn't have a lot of value. So I moved to a home with some value in town, um, which had easier access to the bike trail too. We didn't have to cross a highway to get to the bike trail, so it been safer. Uh, and. So that's what we did. But it was very difficult. I remember one time I'd gone to the new house to meet someone or something, and I'd forgotten something. So we had to rush back in the car and drive back to our old home. And on the way, I had to pull off and pull over and just sob and sob and sob. And I'm crying like that. And George is crying, too. But I don't know if he knows what I'm crying about. But at least he was there to give a hug, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that was so. But it that's kind of you feel you like you're doing well. You're doing you're being strong with all these decisions, and then all of a sudden it hits you, and you're you're sobbing. Uh, I think we uh, we are so busy doing our life that we don't have time to feel, and so every once in a while it just overwhelms. And, yeah, I think that's true because I know, especially with doctor visits, it's like leave the rotary meeting, go to mom, you know, deal with that, get here. Do it's just it's like checking off things on a list, which is yeah. I much rather would be deal with whatever is going on with her, get her in the car, and go someplace where we can watch kids, which yeah. she just loves. I I have to be careful, and I've said this a lot lately. Sometimes people say, oh, what are you guys going to do today? I'm like, oh, we're going to go watch some kids. Some people that don't <laughs> understand. I had one young man at a restaurant. My husband goes a lot, so we're regulars. And I said that, and he looked at me kind of funny, but I think he was trying really hard not to react like, uh, okay, uh -huh. do I need to call the police? <laughs> and then I explained to him, I'm like, oh, wait, you don't know. I said, my mom's got advanced Alzheimer's, and being a mom and a grandmother – she really likes to watch the kids. And there's a lot more action at the pool than there is at the park. Yeah. So, but of course now it's, you know, the kids are all in school. 
So I do things like take her to the fabric store because she used to sew. She used to be an excellent seamstress. And, you know, the problem is, is she, she's at, I don't know if it's a stage or just part of her personality, but she always wants to make sure that, you know, but now you're doing what you need to do, right? And, and don't worry about me. And, you know, it's like, we're doing this for you. you know? <laughs> I've learned to say, oh, no, 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 this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, sit in the park and watch kids. No, but that's okay. <laughs> so we go to the fabric store and just feel the different fabrics. We look at the different fabrics. I don't have to worry about the floor being a different texture or levels. And it just gives her, it gets her out of the memory care and it gives us something to do that's not sitting, you know, not sitting in her room with her asking me, so what have you been up to lately? And I, now she gets this, it's like a breath and a body position. And I know that question's coming. So I usually can cut her off and say, ask her, well, what have you been up to lately? You know, what's going on around here? Which I always get, well, no, same old, same old or not much. And it's like, okay, so much for that answer. <laughs> So much for that conversation. Because she thinks I'm her best friend if I actually give her answers like, oh, I just came from Rotary or I've been photographing the high school graduates, you know, seniors. It's like it confuses her because it's like, but that's not what you do. That's what this other it's. Mm. So I just I give her super basic answers because if you confuse her, sometimes it turns a little bit negative. And I don't need that. So did George remember who you were up to the end or did he end up getting you confused with somebody else? We were sitting at the dining room table. Uh, he was very quiet. Uh, this was probably three or four months before he passed. Uh, so we were still riding our trikes. We were still socializing with people. He was still smiling. A lot. Um, we would go dancing. Now, his idea of dancing is just standing there and swaying side to side. But, you know, we would do that. But we were sitting at the table and we were having lunch, I think. And he kept on looking out the front window and kept on looking and kept on looking. And I says, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm waiting for my wife to come home. And I said, oh. And I says, well, that's nice. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to correct him. I just let it be. Uh, later on, I was out in the garage doing something. I came back in and said, "I'm home." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome because I know a lot of people. It hits them so it's so sudden like that that it's yeah, it's impossible not to react negatively because it's like I had one guest who brought mom dinner on a tray in her room. The tray hit the floor. She went running in there and she said, and, and mom was like, you know, Sandy didn't come home from school today. That was the oh. name of her daughter who was an adult. And she said, but mom, I'm Sandy. And she says, I know, but I want little Sandy. And I thought, Oh, I'm glad my mom thinks I'm her best friend. Yeah. <laughs> that just sounds, I don't know how you, navigate that kind of trauma mentally you know and it's just, and it, she literally said my mom forgot who I was in 10 minutes and she, and, it, and it can come back and it goes and it comes back and that's the hard part is I think as a caregiver or somebody who loves somebody with dementia is you grieve that they're gone 
And then they have a good day or a good few moments. And you're like, oh, maybe I was mistaken. Or, you know, you fall in love again. And then they're gone again. So then you have to grieve all over again. It's just, and that is very difficult. It's, it's a roller coaster. And ah, I get sick. <laughs> That's probably harder for caregivers like you who take care of a spouse versus adult children yes. caregivers like my sister yes. and I. Because obviously, I don't expect to, uh, my mom to outlive me, God forbid. And it is very difficult. But there was one day we'd come back from watching the kids. And she says, I had such a nice time. I appreciate it so much. I love you. And I was like, whoa, okay. And that was a great day. And then there's other days when she's poking every one of my buttons. Yeah. And I have to I have to remember the day that she said, you know, because she hasn't remembered who I am in forever. I haven't heard I love you. She doesn't like to be physical. She doesn't want to hold my hand or lock elbows. Oh, oh she's terrible. She's going to fall on her face. It's inevitable yeah. because she will not allow help. And if I force is kind of the wrong word, but almost force it insist, I guess is the right word. Like, you know, it was hotter than heck out here and she's trying to step from the curb into the parking lot, which is, you know, five, six inches. No, it's about four or five inches down. So it's not difficult. And her, her balance mm -hmm. is fine. It's just, like I said, her visual processing is shot. She's re I'm like, I reach out a hand I'm like, Oh, here, you know, I'll help you. And she's like, eh. and she's about to lean on this hot car next to her. And I just grabbed her hand. I'm like, don't lean on that car. It's hot. You know? So, and then as soon as she stepped into the parking lot, I was like literally two steps down. She jerks her hand out of mine and says, that's all. That's enough. I'm like, okay, at least you didn't burn yourself on the car. <laughs> it was like a hundred degrees. And I didn't know how long the car had been sitting there. It's a challenge. Oh, it's so hard. You're trying to be so sweet and so good, and she's just not cooperating. <laughs> no, she doesn't. It's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I've people say, well, why don't you get her a walker? I'm like, well, because I should probably, one, she probably wouldn't use it. She'd leave it somewhere. So I think that would actually just be more issues. It's not a balance. It's just she's concerned about falling, so she watches her feet which is a great way to fall. And because like my husband and I were in Denver back in September and we were coming down some cement stairs outside the Red Rock um, Audit Amphitheater. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. place. And the sunlight was coming through the handrail and it was throwing these really cool shadows on the steps. But I looked down, I'm like, if my mom was here, she would not move. Because even for me, it was confusing where the edge of the step was because the shadows were on an angle and they were like a crisscross pattern. It was really cool. And I'm mad at myself that I didn't take a photo of it because it's the perfect example of what you're seeing and what you know is the case are not the same. I don't know. But I, you know what I, I saw on your website that you have had people talking about end of life issues and looking at the end of life differently and um because you're facing this thing with this mass on your mom's kidney and she has this diagnosis and she's in the late stages this is this is a tough and i've seen other people weigh this too like he's got a heart problem are we going to have surgery even though he's got dementia and those are tough decisions for the caregiver very i was very fortunate 
and that George was healthy in every other way. So um, I didn't have to deal with that, but I saw a lot of people going through it. My mom was physically healthy and she still is for the most part, but whatever's going on with this growth next to her kidney, which, you know, they want to do a biopsy and I'm very concerned about putting her and putting her under anesthesia because mm-hmm. it's a brain. It, the chemicals change your brain. That's how you block yeah. the pain. And the neurologist said, and I believe her about 80%. She's when the mom returns to where she was at once the chemicals wear off, but the issue could speed up the decline. Well, I know from previous conversations with my mom, well, one, she'd kill us if she knew where she, if she was, if she had a comprehension of where she was at, where she's living, how she's living, the fact that she fights with the hairdresser to, you know, she's telling the hairdresser not to cut her hair or trim her nails. And it's the whole reason you're there lady. And she doesn't comb her hair the way she used to. And she has to have somebody help her with the shower. She would want to be gone. Exactly. But it's still really like, you almost feel like, you know, it's now it's on me. If I'm like, well, we're not going to do anything about this kidney mass. And if she has kidney failure, okay, fine. That's what killed our dad. Uh-huh. But then again, it just, uh, it is very hard because I'm not, I know it's the right thing in my mind, but my heart is like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And you're also thinking about the public looking in uh, and how, at these decisions as well. I think we, uh, we do things in a community and uh, so we know we are under. Yeah. Scrutiny. The spyglass, or not necessarily spyglass, but scrutiny. Yeah, people um, aren't in our shoes, and it's, and it's you know, they don't know the tough decision that's being made. And and different people have different backgrounds, different religious beliefs, and so it's it's hard to make the decision and try to please your mom or the spirit of your mom. Yeah, uh, or where she was before. Well, then I question, it's like, well, should I have told all her, her two brothers and her sister that, you know, it's like, I thought we had a bladder infection and now we're facing this much bigger deal. And it's like, oh, I guess maybe I should have told all these people. None of them call me. None of them check in on me. Her sister does go and visit as often as she can. She's not far away, but she's not close. And um, mm-hmm. somebody totaled the car. We gave her my dad's car and it got totaled. It wasn't her fault which is a surprise. Um, so she has to have somebody drive her, and it's probably 40 minutes at least. Yeah, that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge. Yeah, it's not like she can just jump on a bus and go see her sister. It was one of the reasons we gave her the car was so that she would have that mobility, and she took care of her mom, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. They lived on grandmother's social security. So when my grandmother died, my aunt ended up destitute. And I'm like, how the heck? Why did they, why did you other three siblings allow that? Now my dad was dealing with my mom's, the beginning of my mom's disease. So I, I can see where his decision was logical, but I'm not sure it was a hundred percent right. They, they all needed to have gotten together and make a better decision. So none of these guys call me. So I figured, you know what? I'm not, going to allow other people to question the decision. I am the healthcare provider, power of attorney, not provider. There's a reason my dad made me the healthcare power of attorney and not jointly with anybody else. 
I don't like to make the decisions, but I, I know he did it because I was like him. And I'm, I can, I can be a little bit more pragmatic and more logical. I can, mm-hmm. I can kind of close the door on the heart a little bit, but it's, it's not easy. Cause I had to sign the paperwork for hospice for my dad. And that felt, that felt bad. And I knew exactly I was doing what he wanted. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah it does feel bad. I kind of figured Alzheimer's would take her, but now I don't know. Yeah. And we thought the, the beginning of 2019, the neurologist said, if nothing else happens, pneumonia or any other disease, your mom could easily live 10 more years. My mom is only 76 at this point. She's almost 77. And now I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. And I know she wouldn't want that. So yeah, it's like, I feel like all the time you're always having to make decisions for them and for you. And it's, it's really, that's the hardest part, I think. Try to balance their needs and your needs. And you're the one that's living. All the training I got just said, it's all about you, the caregiver. You have to take care of you. And it was it was hard because you're used to, it was hard making me the priority when there's so much else calling on you. But you gotta, you gotta do it. I think they say that a lot because caregivers don't take care of themselves and then they're hospitalized or they die before the person they're taking care of. And now there's even a bigger problem. Yes. Um, yes. We never discussed what would happen with my mother if my dad died first and he had a lot of chronic illnesses, but him going first was, was completely foreseeable. Mm-hmm. It should not have been a surprise. It should not have been a panic situation. And I look back and I think, what the heck? Like, why did we not have this conversation? If something happens to me, this is what I think you guys need to do with your mother. Yeah. But that never happened. So, yeah. you know, that that still baffles me. He assumed she was going to come live with me. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, my husband and I are self-employed. That means we have flexibility. But just there's times when it's like, how come all the flexibility is going to the clients? My schedule's getting just obliterated here but no you guys are happy that's okay you know that's how it is sometimes and other times it's like I could take a longer bike ride on Wednesday or Friday morning and it's okay yeah but other days I have to do a quick you know 15 mile loop and go home and shower and get my day started it's just the way it works you know I cannot imagine what would happen I know what would happen to my life it wouldn't have lasted very long with my mother living with me and I knew she needed the stimulation of the activities that she doesn't participate in. Although she does go on the bus. They take little bus tours around town. I maybe. They must get her on the bus somehow. Oh, she's, <laughs> like I said, she's physically capable. And as long she's as. She's getting up those stairs. Yeah. It was earlier this year. For whatever reason, they went on a bus ride on a Monday and I show up and they're like, oh, your mom's on the bus. And I'm like, what? (laughs) She's doing what? And I'm like, do we know when they're going to be back? Because I'm here and I could go home and do some stuff, but then I'm not coming back the rest of the week. The rest of the week is busy. Uh And they're like, oh, they should be back, you know, about 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'll go. Getting really good at answering emails on my phone. Yeah. Which I don't Uh like to do, but... Too easy to misspell. Uh. 
I made good use of that 30 minutes and she came back and she was happy and we had a nice visit and I was like, okay, but I guess she does that every week or I'll have to ask again. Yeah. It's been a few months since that. And Um, you had asked about uh, us doing bicycle trips overnight. And I just wanted to get back to that is that when we retired or semi-retired in 2008, we rode our bikes around Wisconsin carrying all our camping equipment. And uh, we were on the road 40 days. And then in 2014, we were in the process of selling our business, which was very, very stressful. So then we, uh, we rode from Northern Illinois down to Florida on our trikes. That's a, that's a distance. And he was already showing symptoms at that time. He was not diagnosed. I knew he had the illness, uh, but I uh, could not get him diagnosed because it would devalue. We'd look like desperate sellers. Aha. Uh-huh. My mom refused to do some of the, I don't know why doctors don't do the most definitive test first. Yeah. Let's do all these other tests. She got to a point where, she had a neuropsychologist say, oh, you're fine. Even my daughter, who was 16 at the time, knew that was baloney. Yeah. I call it my mail order MD. And <laughs> so she was like, see, I'm fine. And it's like, oh, no, you're not. So she was actually not diagnosed until September of 2011. And by that point, it was like, yeah, duh. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, a, it takes such a long time. Yeah, but that was a lot on her, not, well, I mean, the one neuropsychologist didn't think she had a problem, but she was still early enough. This was, I must have been 2008. It was still early enough in the disease. It was easy for her to bluff people. I think she bluffed herself. Yeah. So did, did being together nonstop for 40 days, did that make it more obvious what was going on with him? No, because we worked together uh, in the business. Um, in fact, in 2011, uh, he refused to go back up and work on the business uh, that was failing. And so we turned the business over to me as owner and president. Um, and we then he would go back up because I was going. <laughs> so we went up back up to Wisconsin and we worked on the business. And I could tell when we were working on the business every day. I mean, I, I just, I started getting smarter than him and that was never the case before. <laughs> he was always a smart one, but I would see things that needed to be done. I would see uh, engineering flaws and he wouldn't see them. And that wasn't, that wasn't normal. And then he started calling customers more than once a day with the same phone call, you know, saying, you guys got anything for us? Da, da, da. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's not. Yeah, we went kind of through a similar thing. My parents and I had a photography studio and film processing lab. We also had a digital processor at the end. Because obviously we know that the turn of the 2000s film was starting to go away. And this one day, this client called me. Well, she called. She got me on the phone. And it was just (laughs) F-bombs and coming unglued and I was like whoa what the heck and she was so frustrated with my mom because she would tell my mom this was a family portrait the mom client had braces and she would she wanted them digitally removed which is I send that off 
because it's mm. way not worth it's I think it's 10 bucks to have it done oh, I yeah. can't make it look good for 10 bucks so <laughs> I just send it off but my mom fussed and fussed and fussed with it because it's not an easy thing to do I'm sure the retouching company has a trick that we didn't know and there was other requests that were probably very normal but my mom kept forgetting them and it was like, oh, okay, well, here you go. No, that's still not right. Oh, okay, let me fix that. Okay, here you go. No, it's still not right. So I think we must have gone through three or four of those. And when that day when the client called, I said, you tell me exactly what you've been telling mom. I will make sure it gets done right. And it did. She, once my parents retired in 2005, I had already broken off partly. I had started the business on our side of the mountain in two like about 18 months earlier because I knew they were going to retire I knew I wasn't going to keep that retail location because it was expensive so I was establishing the business in my hometown and this gal came two or three times after that and her kids aged out you know they get they grow up and <laughs> mom can't yeah. bring them together for a family portrait now that they're 35 <laughs> so I I managed to, to salvage that one but that was that was the challenge for me yeah. is I had to make sure that I knew what she was telling people, which isn't always easy if I'm talking to somebody or I'm photographing somebody. It was it was stressful. I was not I was concerned about them retiring because I knew it gave her a purpose, which we all need. And, you know, it, it made her feel good. But the stress on me was not fun. And the clients didn't need the stress either. So, yeah, and then that's tough. In looking back now, she used to, they lived like literally less than a mile away. She would show up about 30 to 40 minutes after I did, I was 20 miles away. She would sweep the walk and wash the front glass doors. And it's like, could we like get to work in here? (laughs) But I just let her do what she needed to do. And it dawned on me just actually kind of recently that she would start working on orders when it was quieter. Uh, And I think it was because sometimes with the phone ringing, the doorbell ringing, even if you're not having to deal with those, just that noise and the machine noise, I think it was easier for her to actually work on nothing was that complicated, but the more complicated than sweeping type things later on, because it was a half hour, 40 minutes for me to get home. And she waits till we're almost closed to get started. I'm like, can we start work on that tomorrow. I got to go home and feed the kid. <laughs> but I think, I think it was her, I think it was a coping technique mm-hmm. that I didn't recognize until just kind of recently. Yeah. I mean, so it's 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to other guests who've said, you know, always take a spouse or even an adult child with you to the doctor because they can attest to things that, you know, if you're having memory issues, you don't know what you're forgetting. And one guest, she traveled a lot for business. Her husband was also their second marriage, traveled a lot for business. So they weren't together for multiple days at a time. And they went on a trip for two weeks. And he was like, holy Toledo. what is going on with her because she was repetitive asking the same questions it was so obvious but if they had not taken that trip and he had not gone with her to doctor appointments after that yeah knows how long it would have taken her to be diagnosed and she's younger she's younger Mm -hmm. onset alzheimer's and she's doing 
everything recommended to maintain where she's at. And I talked to her in, it was April, early April of 2018. I saw her in February of 2019. Now, it's the only two times I've seen this woman. I recognized her. And I was shocked that she recognized me, remembered who I was. I don't know that she remembered my name, but that's okay. I can't remember names to save my soul. It's nothing to do with my my memory. <laughs> Just it's always been the case. She remembered about the podcast, which I do have a t-shirt that has my hashtag on it. So it was a little trick, but it's like, you've only seen me twice and I didn't have this shirt when we met the first time. So whatever she's doing seems to be working. Mm-hmm. You know, she was, we were at the state Capitol with our state advocacy day. So I was, I was a little apprehensive. I didn't approach her cause I didn't want to be like, Oh, Hey, you remember me? Cause that's not nice. <laughs> but she saw me, we ended up like standing next to each other and she was like, Oh, hi, how's it going? And I actually was very shocked that she remembered me, which was a nice feeling, but mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of things you can do to keep the levels going. Like you said, the exercises, riding your bikes, hiking, all of that stuff had to have helped him a lot. And yes. you. And me for sure. Yes. Relieving stress. Um, one thing about biking and you know, this is, it's not only exercise, but you're out in nature and you're socializing which mm-hmm. is usually biking with other people. And all three of those things we got when we went for bike ride, it just really, helped us maintain our social life throughout. So many people that are caregivers become isolated when they're caregiving for their spouse. Um, so this this helped us maintain a social life. In the second book, um, I do outline how the bike group came forward for us when he started to slow down on his trike and we couldn't keep up with the group anymore. They all came together and we got him on a, we got in a, Oh, electric assist tandem. It was a community effort. Oh, fun. And we were able to keep riding with the group up to the end. The day before he passed, he was riding on the back of that tandem. Awesome. I did not know they made electric assist tandems. Uh, it was a hodgepodge. It was um, two tricycles with that I have uh, the two wheels in back and one wheel in front. But it was recumbent. The, your pedals are out in front of you. And... Um, so you take the front wheel off the back trike and you hook it onto the back of the front trike. And then we put the motor on the front trike. So I had to do the gizmos, but he didn't have to worry about it. You know, he didn't have to learn the electric assist. So he could just ride along and every once in a while he'd pedal. And uh, <laughs> it was That's great. awesome. So it was a Franken bike. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And you know, because we triked for so many years, what really blows my mind, and this is kind of, you've seen this in other things that people do a lot of, that they're able to continue doing that even when everything else is gone, like piano playing. Mm-hmm. Well, he would hardly be able to walk. We'd shuffle up to the trike. I just wait patiently, and then he'd lift one foot up, and it was about a foot and a half two feet off the ground. You have to lift his foot up over the trike in order to sit down. And he'd be able to do that. It was just amazing. Hmm. That is really cool. Yeah. Well, those bicycle groups are great, great company. I can attest to that. (laughs) Yes, they are a great company. 
healthy, fun-loving. They like to think positive. It really helps. Yeah, I was uh, appreciating the beautiful weather this morning, and one of our cycling friends said, well, it's getting kind of windy, and I'm like, I'm just going to appreciate that it's not hot and it's not cold. There was a couple times when it's like, okay, this wind can just quit. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, why is it pushing me backwards? I hate that. <laughs> uh, not that's, I mean, I'm a strong rider, but I need to lose about 20 pounds. That would help a lot. And, you know, it's like, I'm like getting further and further behind the slower group. I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. Not going to even worry about it. And it does, it really, if I do not do my workout routine, which is six days, six mornings a week, wow. you don't want to deal with me. I, I get very grumpy and ah. just tired and grouchy and just unpleasant. And that's like, no, we don't need that. So yeah, a lot of people I think yeah. probably feel like, well, this chick does not do anything until after lunch. Like, no, I actually do. I just don't do anything that with clients or guests because I'm not dressed nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the gym or at, out riding my bike or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So you have the audio version of your book is coming out. Oh, I'm so excited. The, uh, the audio actress for the first book is Robin Siegerman. She's a uh, voice actress. Well, she's a regular actress, but um, she does his voice uh, recordings. And I've got the, I got the draft of it, so I'm going through it to make sure she didn't mispronounce anything. And I'm in chapter seven, and it's just, I couldn't have read it better. She did such a good job. It's just amazing. And and she has a great voice, and she's doing George's voice lower, and, and uh, getting the emotion in there. It's just awesome. I love it. Awesome. And that's that comes out when? That comes out, well, it'll be out in October. Okay. Yeah. And then the the uh, audio book for the second book is also being recorded as we speak. This actress is, is doing a good job, too. Um, I didn't use the same one because she was going to be busy past my launch date for my second book. My launch, second book is out in paperback, but I'm actually launching it officially on December 4th. Okay. Wanted to make sure we got those dates in there. Yeah, December 4th, and then we're going to have a big party. <laughs> and um and then we're gonna do large print and audiobook and kindle awesome it's gonna launching on that date so it's a little different um, than publishing was 25 years ago yes <laughs> very different it's a lot of work <laughs> i believe it now are you yeah. part of the all's authors yes i am okay i thought yeah. so i most of my authors are but i try to make sure i connect any of them that aren't that's such a great organization. Yeah, it is. And I've got over 200, I think, authors now with Alzheimer's stories. A lot of them are children's books or, I mean, they're all different venues. Caring for parents, um, like Ann Campanella's is a multi-layered with her miscarriage and the animal therapy. And it's just all, it was a great story as well. Yeah, I talked to her. Well, I talked to a whole bunch of all's authors December of 2018. So those all got released early in 2019. And she was, I think one of the, I think she was the very first one. Because oh, I think okay. I talked to her and then I emailed her and said, Hey, is there any other authors you could introduce me to? And then my email blew up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it was almost immediate. And since 
Now I'm on the West Coast. A lot of times I send out emails towards the end of my day. Uh-huh. And so I don't hear back for a day or so, which is fine. I get it. You know, I, I don't worry about it. And it was, I swear, she had to be sitting at her computer too, because it was almost immediate. And it was like, oh, here you go. Boom, boom. <laughs> like, okay, well, thank you. And, and then, of course, because it was, I think it was right around Thanksgiving. So it was like, we're getting into the holiday time. These people are going to be busy. I think I did one author every day for a week. Wow. <laughs> like, and then they're like, when is this coming out? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Just put them all in the bank. <laughs> And I don't have to stress over the holidays. Yeah, there you go. And blogging. Uh, I continue to blog um, after I published the books and about my life after George. And um, just I'm exploring different things now as a, as a single woman. Just um, doing camping. Right now I'm traveling and see what I like. See what my future life is going to be like. I'll have to touch base with you again in about six months, maybe, maybe a little more, and see. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep up with the blog, and when you've had enough new experiences, I'll I'll reach out again, and we'll find out. Because I haven't <laughs> talked to anybody that much about what it's like afterwards. Ah, that is so a, it's a it's a transition because you have. Your life is so full and so stressful that when all of a sudden it's over, you have to find a venue uh, for your activity. That's probably why there's so many Al's authors out there. They start writing. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. I never thought of it that way. But no, that's a, and then I would think it would be easy to, get depressed and, and kind of go a negative path. So I'm glad you're not doing that. And obviously you could be an inspiration for people after the journey on Alzheimer's, how to, I don't want to say piece your life back together, but kind of, I don't know. I'm not sure what the right words. Say you got to think about it before that happens. I mean, I'm sure you have been, you know, caring for your mom for 20 years and going, Oh, and you're probably sometimes dreaming about, well, if I didn't have to spend this time, what would I be doing with it? So I, I did. I dreamt about what I, my life would be like when I wasn't caregiving. Of course, I didn't do any of that, but <laughs> you, you fantasize. You try to get out of that space of what was me and I... I'm tired <laughs> and go, well, okay, it's not going to be forever. And someday I'm going to be able to go to the Netherlands, which I did. Oh, fun. Well, my husband is very determined to buy real estate in Jamaica. He's a real estate broker. So it's like, I want, I want a place where we can go and get away from winter or whatever, which I know can hear you guys laughing now. I know you don't think California gets winter. Winter <laughs> for me. <laughs> I've I've glo- I lived here. I'm a multi generational Californian, which we're kind of like a unicorn. Not too many people that can say that. Um, I would love to go to Jamaica when it's wet and cold out, so that's okay. But you know, he talks about that, and I kind of look at him because I can't imagine him being happy on an island for too much extended time. But he also says, well, I know we can't do that until after mom. 
Mm. And so that's kind of one of the phrases we use is after mom. And when we were looking at another 10 years, it's like, yeah, that's going to put us almost her age. Yeah. And now that it might not be that long, it's like, okay, well now I kind of feel bad that we had those conversations, but it's. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You do. You feel, you feel guilty, but it's hard. It's just where the mind goes. Yeah. You it's, it's a challenge, and unfortunately, it's a challenge more people will probably be facing yeah. in the next couple of decades. Wow. I just talked to somebody about the Alzheimer's walk yesterday, so that'll be that was very interesting. What how that how the Alzheimer's walks fund the research and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm doing that the first time this year. Oh, okay. So, do you think there's any more books in your future? Yes, I already have the blogs up uh, for. My trip from Illinois down to Florida, I think I'll write about that and getting to a diagnosis, which was a long journey. And uh, and then, I don't know, and then I might write about what life is like afterwards, <laughs> this exploration I'm doing. I think that's a good, good book topic, Be- like I said, because I don't think, I think people, you're so tired and so... I think I think the emotions of when they're gone are so confusing. I think it's hard to know how to move forward. So I think that's a good topic you can help people through. Mm-hmm. So you got some work cut out for you. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, I look forward to finishing the books that I've started and reading more about your blog and connecting again in 2020 and see where you're at. And okay. Good luck with the Kindle audio versions, large print, oh, very and excited. launch of the second book. Yes. The, the blog is at susanstraley.com. Your listeners know. Awesome. And uh, that will be in the show notes. You okay. can just scroll down and hit the hot link and go there. And after you're done listening, you can have tons of stuff to read. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. This is how new people will find us. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. All of our accounts are linked in the show notes. And as always, I will be in your ears again next Tuesday.